you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to another edition of Tapehead's Draft Season. Bob Oshusen, longtime radio voice of the New York Jets and a longtime college football play-by-play man for ESPN. Joined, as always, by Greg Cosell, who for over 40 years has been breaking down the All-22 and diving deeper behind the X's and O's than anyone in NFL films. And this is his wheelhouse. It is trying to bring you kind of a behind-the-scenes, through-the-weeds look at the NFL draft in a different way than other podcasts or anything else you're going to hear about the draft anywhere else brings you. We're not doing mock drafts. We're not doing trade scenarios. We are trying to bring you a more realistic look at the way teams approach the draft and also a much deeper dive into these prospects on a week-by-week basis. And Greg, let's start coming out of the combine with that as a kind of a general scope. And we're going to get to a guy coming up in the next segment that I think might be the most fascinating prospect in the entire NFL draft. Uh, And a guy that's going to be debated back and forth, you know is going to go probably in the top five to seven picks where he goes, who picks him. We're going to get to that. All a very interesting discussion. And uh, you could probably figure out who I'm talking about <laughs> because he is a polarizing conversation right now, certainly in New York. But how polarizing are the conversations coming out of the combine when guys run a tick of a 40 time less than you expected them to, a tick of a shuttle run less than you expected them to? Yeah. I mean, were there were there guys that, you know, surprised people positively or negatively at the combine that you think just the combine might overrate one way or the other? Well, I think what always happens is, as you know, Bob, the 40-yard dash time is sort of, you know, it's like in the old uh, Miss America, you know, the swimsuit competition. Everybody (laughs) judges everything by that, you know? So 
When a guy runs a really fast 40, that's what gets talked about. So if a guy doesn't run a fast 40, and we're going to get to a particular player here and a position momentarily, but when a guy doesn't run a fast 40, all of a sudden there's this collective sense, maybe not by teams, but just in the way it's presented, you know, whether it's on social media or just the way it's talked about on, you know, sports talk radio, that, oh my God, what's the problem? And I think that's the 40 times is the thing that seems to, you know, move the needle one way or the other. And it, it gets so removed from the football part of the equation, the actual player on tape, that it seems as if it's just a separate entity and, you know, with a life of its own. And you have to be really careful about 40 times impacting what you've seen on tape with players. And how about the quarterbacks? I mean, the top of the draft quarterbacks don't even throw anymore or perform really at the combine. They go there, they'll let you measure their hands and feet and height and weight, and then they leave. um, Or they do some interviews with teams, but, you know, they, they have kind of their doctored, manufactured pro days. That acts as their combine. How about the evolution of that and how hard it is to take anything out of what we either see from the measurables at the combine or these pro days that these guys have on their own campuses? You know, it's funny you mentioned that. It just reminded me immediately of last year's pro day with Zach Wilson, your guy. You know, and and remember when he had the pro day and he ended up by running to his left and throwing the ball, you know, 50 yards in the air. You know, that was. You know, it's funny you say. Go ahead. It's funny you bring this example up. Scott Pioli, during the season on our regular old Tape Heads podcast, basically said exactly what you are saying. That like maybe the worst thing that ever happened to Zach Wilson was that throw on his pro day. Well, what I was going to say, and I don't know what Scott said about it, uh, but when I saw that and then it made the rounds on social media was I said to myself, you know, there's a hundred quarterbacks that could have done that. And they made it seem like Zach Wilson was the only quarterback that could have done that. There's a hundred quarterbacks that could have done that. Uh, and, you know, we get so caught up in the moment, not, you know, just as an aside, you know, we've seen Patrick Mahomes the last, what, three years? I guess he's been a starter now four years. But, you know, we've seen him with those trick shot throws and everybody goes crazy. You know, Matthew Stafford was doing trick shot throws 10 years ago with the Detroit Lions. But because he was playing with the Tr- Detroit Lions, Bob, no one said a word about it. You know, so we get caught up in the moment. But when Wilson made that throw, and your point is probably very valid, that people got so excited about Wilson, but there's a 100 quarterbacks that could have done that. Yeah, and not only, I think the the point that Scott made um, during the season, when there were times where Zach Wilson was trying a lot of the off-platform crazy, you know, hero ball throws, was maybe he was trying to live up to all of the hype that that crazy pro day throw create rather than just go play simple. Just find your check down. It's okay. It's okay to throw the ball in a traditional way over the shoulder to a guy that's five yards away. Let him pick up five or six more yards for you and make it second down and four. That's a good way to play quarterback in the NFL sometimes. And, uh, and you're right. I mean, I think he was, in a way, a victim of his own pro day because of, as you said, all of the hype gets into, and he sees those headlines, he hears it, he knows he's expected now to go to New York and put on a show, and now he's trying to do that in the NFL. And boy, as a rookie, that, that can backfire on you. You know, it's pretty amazing, and, and you kind of hit on something that I've talked about for years and years, is the idea that... The job of the quarterback is to execute the offense as it's coached and taught. 
you know, we may have said this before, but no coach rolls out the ball in practice and says, let's run around and see if we can make a play today. That's not the way the position is taught. But because of highlights, social media, we get all excited on, on these improvisational plays. And I think so many people get caught up into thinking that's the way to play quarterback now, that you have to be able to run around and make plays. Now, no one would say that if you have mobility, that's a bad thing. Thing. But mobility must be secondary to the ability to efficiently execute the structure of the offense snap after snap. And I don't know, Zach Wilson, you obviously do. I never met him individually. But one of the big concerns I remember when he came out a year ago, everybody saw the live loose arm. Everybody saw the light feet. But there was a concern that he was too much of a trick shot artist and he needed to play within the structure of an offense. As you know, Bob, coaches work 16, 17 hours a day doing this. They want the quarterback to execute what is taught and coached, not run around improvisationally. Well, it's funny because first part of the season last year, he was that guy. Right, and they had a game against Tennessee where he threw like a fifty-yard sidearm touchdown. I remember, and the place went crazy. But yeah. most of the time, most of the time they were losing. Right. Um, then he got hurt, and then he actually had a three or four-week period where he watched, and he watched other. We had the Mike White era, and he <laughs> watched other quarterbacks just execute the offense. If you look at the last five or six weeks of the season, no turnovers, not as many flashy attempted plays, but as you said, much more executing the offense the way that it's coached and all of a sudden won a couple games down the stretch much more competitive even in games that they lost down the stretch and look tom brady probably has more lombardi trophies than he has off-platform crazy you know uh improvisational throws in his career right maybe tom brady has run around in the offensive backfield and sidearmed a ball like five times in his entire career Correct. and he's got more lombardi trophies than that on his mantelpiece so like that you're a hundred percent right and i guess to shift the conversation then to the current class we talked about kenny pickett last week and how he probably is the most pro ready you know stereotypical yep. size measurables quarterback but, I mean, Malik Willis came out and said, hey, look, I should be the number one quarterback taken in this draft. And he's a guy that's thought of a little bit more as the improvisational guy. W what do you think a guy like that needs to show in his pro day to maybe tell NFL teams, look, I'm not just the runaround back there and sidearm the ball 45 yards down the field. I am going to play quarterback the way that you need to be able to be coached to play quarterback in the NFL. It's a great question. I don't think his pro day can show that because one of the things that all the analytics and metrics don't show, and I know they're showing more and more with each year, Bob, but one of the things they don't yet show are balls that should be thrown that aren't. And when I watch tape, that is the biggest hmm. thing that I see with quarterbacks, even at the NFL level, because I've been doing this a long time. So I know the route concepts. I know the defense. I know the, where the ball should go based on the route concept versus a specific defense. And the biggest issue for a lot of quarterbacks, young quarterbacks in particular, quarterbacks that are mobile in particular is that they leave throws on the field that should be thrown. And Malik Willis won't be able to 
get beyond that at his pro day. His pro day will probably be phenomenal. But when you watch his tape, you see a traits quarterback. He's got a big arm. The ball just flies out of his hand. A term I once heard from someone was he has a hand cannon. I mean, it just comes out of his hand beautifully. And he's incredibly athletic and mobile. So he'll be able to show all that at his pro day. What he won't be able to show is will he stay in the pocket, let the offense work, deliver the ball to the right receiver at the right time with the right kind of throw. See the field. See it work. See the offense work against a defense. Those things you can't show at a pro day. So my guess is his pro day will be phenomenal and we'll be raving about it and and probably deservedly so, but that won't say a lot to me anyway about his transition to the NFL. You know what's amazing? Everything that you just said can be almost retroactively looked at through the lens of Zach Wilson. Correct. Right? Like he's got all, a hand cannon, incredible athleticism, makes all of those improvisational throws on his throw day, on his pro day, and looks like this magnificent athlete that can go do anything on a football field. And yet, deliver the ball to the receiver that you should deliver the ball to based on the route concept against a certain defense. I mean, I think we've got all of those questions still remaining in our head about Zach Wilson, even after his rookie year. I agree. And there were a lot of times when you go back and watch the jet tape where look, we still don't know if he's going to be able to, you know, to, to do that. And just one quick point, field vision. Field vision is something that different coaches feel you can teach, others you can't. Some guys just see it clearly, Bob, as you know, you've been doing this a long time, and other guys, no matter how much you go over it in practice, on the iPad, on the blackboard, they might be great in the meeting room, but then when they get on the field and it all has to happen in 1.5, 2.1, 2.6 seconds, they just don't see it the right way. So that is, that's why a pro day doesn't, it will not tell you that. Right. Yep, pro day, combine, analyzing these prospects. It's all fascinating. And there is a specific prospect that has already been talked about up and down, and the conversation got even more interesting about this guy coming out of the combine. He might be the most interesting, most debated, most polarizing prospect in the first round of the NFL draft. And we're going to talk about that guy when we come back on Tapehead's Draft Season. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, 
elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to point game. King of the court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bob Shoes and Greg Cosell. We are back on Tapeheads Draft Season, taking you right up to the NFL Draft at the end of April. And Greg, there is a guy. We've been talking about him for, and everyone in draft world has been talking about him since the end of the college football season that will maybe be as debated a guy as there is in this draft heading up to the end of April, and he's going to be picked in the top five to top seven picks, and that's Kyle Hamilton, right? He plays the quote-unquote non-premium position of safety. He's not a pass rusher. He's not a quarterback. He's not a cover corner. He's not a left tackle. He He doesn't have any of those, you know, position values on him, but in the Jets' world, I know Robert Sala has referred to him multiple times as the quote-unquote unicorn, which makes you think of him through a different prism. So let's talk about Kyle Hamilton as a player first, and then we'll get to the debate about what happened at the Combine or about how teams maybe should view the value of his position. When you see Kyle Hamilton and you hear someone like Robert Sala call him a unicorn, do you agree? Is he that unique a player at that position? I do, and I'm going to tell you a very quick story. The year that Steve Spagnuolo was not coaching after he was gone from the Giants and before Andy Reid hired him, he he had a place in Philadelphia because his wife's from Philadelphia. And he called me and said, hey, can I come in and watch tape on Mondays? And I said, absolutely. And we would get into these great conversations, and I learned so much from Spags. But we would talk about certain positions on defense, Bob. And I said to him, you know, coach, I said, for years and years, safety was a position, just as you said, that was not viewed as a premium position. As you know, teams would say or people would say, oh, you can get a safety in the fifth round. And Spag said to me, well, that's great. But the problem is, is there's so many things I can't do in my playbook if I don't have good safeties. So if I don't have good safeties, it limits what I can do defensively. And I never forgot that. And people don't think of it like that about how you coach in the NFL. So you know, safeties have become increasingly important in the NFL. I actually asked when Dan Quinn years ago when he was with the Legion of Boom uh, and, and they were great. I said, who's the most important player on your defense? And without missing a beat, he said, Earl Thomas. You know, and, and that might not be the first name that come up in, came up in people's minds. But anyway, to Hamilton, Hamilton is a unicorn. First of all, he measured over 6'4", about 220. He is long. He's athletic. He's a glider. Um, he's a very easy mover. I know he ran a four five nine, and that's why there's this debate now. And I don't know if it's truly a debate, but he ran a four five nine. But he plays fast. He plays with his eyes. He has no hesitation in his reaction time. And his play speed, his range is really good. So to me, that's an example, Bob. 
I would throw the four, five, nine out the window. I don't think it means anything. And we can keep talking about it, but I feel like I've been going on here. But but I think Hamilton is a really, really good prospect. Does he go in the top five? I mean, is he one of the five best football players in this draft, do you think? I think so based on my tape study. And again, without getting into teams, it would not surprise me. Believe it or not, at number two, if the Detroit Lions would see Kyle Hamilton um, as a really, you know, important piece to their defense. They were obviously not very good on defense. Their defensive coordinator is Aaron Glenn, as you know, who's a former corner. So I'm sure he has an affinity for the defensive backfield. Um, It it would not surprise me at all. You know, Hamilton is a he's really a multi-dimensional, multi-positional safety Great play recognition, great play speed and range, as I said. He's naturally athletic. Um, put that in a body like that. Six, he was, I think, six four and an eighth, two twenty at the combine. Um, you don't see that very often. And I thought he played with his eyes and saw things. It's funny, we were talking about that with quarterbacks, but safeties are very much the quarterback of the defense in that regard because they they, they see everything unless they're playing in the box. But if they're playing a little deeper, they see everything. And I thought he played really fast with his eyes, and that resulted in quick reactions, and that maximized his play speed and range. Yeah, I think it brings it to the larger conversation, as you said, of the importance of the safety ah. and what Spags told you. Because I've worked yeah. a lot of college football games with a lot of quarterbacks, yeah. right? When we are watching tape, all they're looking at are the safeties, yeah. right? Where are the safeties? What are they? How are they lined up? Are they on the hash? Are they off the hash? Is a safety down in the box? Is a safety playing deep middle? Is it middle field open? Is it middle field closed? Based purely on the positioning of those safeties. Now, having said that, the best way you can disguise what you're doing is if you've got a safety that has the athleticism, got the mental capacity, the brains, the football knowledge, um, you know, the, the savviness, the ability to completely change the pre-snap, post-snap picture because he can do all of those things. Correct. And then can go make the crazy play. And Kyle Hamilton, he can do all of that, right? Like he checks every single box. So the now... Living in the New York market, of course, looking at it through the Jets lens, there's this, you know, recency bias of it was a disaster. Ultimately, with, you know, the, the Jamal Adams, Marcus May tra- uh, draft, they just don't want a safety. Well, they, they want they want an edge rusher. They want another tackle. They want a big wide receiver because the last time that they draft that the Jets drafted safeties at the top of the draft, it didn't work out. Is Kyle Hamilton different? You know, I mean, is he just a different breed at that position than even the other top safeties that we've seen go in the top 10 or 15 picks in recent years might be? Well, it's the length, the movement, and the eyes. I mean, Kyle Hamilton is a far better prospect than Jamal Adams. And they just drafted Jamal Adams with the sixth pick, correct? I believe it was the sixth pick in the draft. And Jamal Adams is ultimately more of a will linebacker than he is a true safety. Kyle Hamilton is a safety. And safeties, you made a great point about the way offense is taught. And that's why for people who say the safety position isn't that important, if you talk to a coach... An offensive coach, the way they start with quarterbacks, and this is the just the basic, but they start with middle open, middle closed. That's the first thing they start with. And by that we mean, are you playing with a single high safety in the middle of the field, or are you playing with two deep safeties who are split? So if it's a single high safety, the middle is closed. If it's two split safeties, the middle's open. That's how they start with quarterbacks. So safeties are really the defining feature of how offenses start with their quarterbacks. 
So safeties are really important. Then the other factor is with the influx of really athletic tight ends, and this even gets down to the college game now when we will deal tight ends in a, in a future um podcast is now you have more and more tight ends, Bob, as you know, doing college football, who are essentially split receivers. You know, you don't see as many tight ends coming into the NFL game who are simply attached tight ends next to the tackle, because that's not the way college football is played. So what do safeties now have to do? Safeties now have to be able to match up man-to-man on quality athletic tight ends. If you can't match up to the Darren Wallers, the Travis Kelsey the Kyle Pitts of the world, then you can't play in today's NFL. Then that limits what a coach can do, a defensive coordinator can do with his defensive playbook. It forces him to do things that he probably doesn't want to do, minimizes what he can do. Offenses know that, and offenses have an easier, relatively speaking, easier way of attacking that defense. Yeah, we're going to talk about the tight ends, you said, in a future episode, but... Like Pitts is a freak, obviously. Yeah. But another guy that leaps to mind called his college games, like Mike Gasicki. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that makes a Pitts or a Gasicki a tight end as opposed to a slot receiver is they're like three or four inches taller and about right, 20 or right. five or 30 pounds heavier than a wide receiver normally measures, right? I mean, they play wide receiver. They play the slot. They, sometimes they yeah. flex out there. Many times in many of these formations, just to try and create a matchup, the, the tight end is the furthest flexed out player on the field. He's like the X receiver, and your normal X receiver is the guy in the slot. That's right. And you know this because you do the Jets, so you played Miami twice. But the Miami played almost every snap with two tight ends, and Gasecki was essentially a wide receiver in that 12 personnel package. He he was the split receiver. It was the other tight end, Smith, who was essentially the attached tight end. But Gasecki was essentially a big wide receiver. And that's what that's what the college game is putting out. I mean, unless you're talking about and there's always a few teams. I can think of some in the Big Ten, you know, the Wisconsin's, the Iowa's. I'm sure there's others that don't immediately come to my mind. But most college teams now are more spread offenses. The player who's listed as the tight end is rarely an attached player right next to a tackle. He's a split player detached from the formation. So that's the way he comes into the NFL. You've got to match up to those players on defense. And you're not going to do it really with linebackers. Some can, obviously. But you need safeties who can match up man-to-man to tight ends. Every coach would like a safety that's interchangeable, meaning they can play down in the box. They can bump out over a slot. They can play outside over a tight end and they can play post safety. That's what coaches really want with their safeties now. And so you're saying, and I think if, you know, kind of encapsulate the conversation specifically about Kyle Hamilton, that the position of safety, considering how the, you know, the evolution. And again, we've returned to this incredible importance of the tight end. Like when I was growing up, it was Kellen Winslow who like acted like a wide receiver and basically everybody else was like a big hulking body that blocked on the line of scrimmage and occasionally would catch a ball out in the flat. But you didn't have the run the seam, stretch the field, act as a wide receiver tight end. That if you take Kyle Hamilton in the top three or four picks of this draft, you're getting an incredibly important football player at a position that maybe should be given more respect. 
I couldn't agree more. And by the way, you were not doing the Jets at this time, but Kyle Brady was a top 15 pick in the draft, yeah. and he was basically another offensive tackle. Today, Kyle Brady would probably be a sixth-round pick because of the nature of the tight end position. And the game is cyclical, as we've discussed numerous times. Safeties are incredibly important in today's defense. You had to go there? Is that really where you'd like, you know, we were getting along so well and you had to go there. You had to go to Kyle Brady. <laughs> that hurts me. I'm actually like, that's what I'm no, yeah. sorry about that. But I, I, I was just trying to I was just trying to make yeah, a point, you're, you're, you know, you're, yeah. <laughs> point taken. Maybe we can have a fullback conversation at some point. You can bring up Roger Vick, too, to make me even happier. All right. There straight ahead. One of the biggest discussions at the NFL Combine. We're going to get Greg's thoughts about. A discussion at the Combine that it should it or should it not be important? That's going to come up when we wrap up this episode of Tapehead's Draft Season. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower... 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back, wrapping up this week's editions of Tapehead's Draft Season. Bob Wischusen, Greg Cosell, coming off the NFL Combine, and we're going to take you all the way up until draft day and try and crawl beneath the draft and behind the X's and O's like no other podcast out there. And Greg, I think to that point, overrated, underrated, extremely important, not that important, things that come out of the combine. And one that we talked about just going to break was Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Right? That his hand size, uh, how important or unimportant that is. And just generally speaking, through the lens of Pickett, but with quarterbacks in general. I mean, how much does it sway a team in their draft room when all of a sudden a guy's hand size is, you know, an inch, half an inch shorter than maybe you expected it would be? 
Well, needless to say, Bob, I ask people about that at the Combine because as we've discussed in, in a previous podcast, I very much liked Kenny Pickett's tape, and I think he's the number one quarterback prospect in this draft. So I wanted to get a feel from people smarter than myself who do this for a living and have to you know evaluate these guys and, and maybe pick a player. And the feeling was, was basically this, that if you really like Kenny Pickett's tape, and one of the things that really stood out when I asked coaches about Kenny Pickett, and obviously we're doing a podcast where you can't see me, but the first thing they did was they pointed to their head. And, you know, obviously you can't see that on a podcast. And they said, this guy is wired exactly right. He's incredibly smart. He gets everything. So they said, if you really like everything about Kenny Pickett, the hand size is irrelevant. They said, if you don't like something about Pickett and you're struggling with him, you might bring the hand size in as something that you're going to have a conversation about. But it would never be a deal breaker if you really like everything else. Uh, Well, This, of course, is a podcast where, again, you're not going to get the, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen, or this is the best. I mean, we're like, if we say something really struck you, it, it won't take it seriously, right? Because you've been going to the combine for a long time, and you said this past weekend there was something specific to when the big boys on the defensive line went out there (laughs) and tested that, that struck, it seemed to strike a lot of people, but it really made an imprint on you. Yeah, I've been going to the Combine, I believe, since 1998, Bob, and obviously we all missed last year, but... um You know, being in the Dome on Saturday night when the D-linemen and linebackers worked out, I mean, I was blown away just by the sheer athleticism of these players. Now, obviously, they work on this. The advances in, in training and technology have been so great over the last number of years. But still, I mean, I, I, obviously, I'm not the first one saying this, but when Davis from Georgia at 6'6 six, six plus 340 pounds, that was his official height and weight. He ran a 4.7240. Think about that for a second, Bob. You know, I remember when I was in college, which, of course, was in the Stone Age. You know, I think they just got indoor plumbing at that point. But uh, <laughs> I ran I had to run a 40 for playing baseball in college and I ran a 4.8 and I thought that was pretty good. You know, and here's a guy 340 pounds <laughs> and he ran a 4.72. But overall, just watching these athletes move. I mean, and again, you can get into that same debate about what does that mean as far as playing football, but there's no question you'd much prefer big, fast athletes than smaller, slower athletes. So I was I was truly yeah. blown away and enjoyed watching it so much for those, you know, seven hours or whatever it was in the Dome on Saturday late afternoon into evening. Yeah, I'm going to just flat out steal this from someone off of Twitter. I don't remember. I can't give credit. I don't remember who put it out there, but it was through the lens of Jordan Davis running a 4.72. I think somebody posted that Jerry Rice ran 4.71, and Jordan Davis at 6.6340 ran 4.72. Now, that's a really slow time for Jerry Rice <laughs> at the same point. If you think about that, like you're 6.6340, you basically ran the same 40 time as Jerry Rice. Well, you know who ran a 4.72 when I was in the, the dome when he did it? Anquan Bolden ran a 4.72, and I remember oh I remember there was a collective <laughs> sigh in the dome with people whispering that, oh, this guy will never make it in the NFL. And I know we spoke about receivers uh, earlier this week in our in our podcast, but, you know, it just all that it almost makes the point taking nothing away from Davis. But it makes the point when you just returning to receivers for a moment, you know, Cooper Cup ran a 4.62, you know. 
about what the receiver position is and that while we had all these guys, I think there were 15 receivers who ran under 4-4 and everybody gets excited about that. And like I said, is it better to have a guy run a 4-3-8 maybe than a 4-6? Maybe. But that automatically does not make someone a great receiver. And, you know, here's Bolden who ran a 4-7-2, arguably a Hall of Fame type player. Cooper Cup, 4-6-2. Had a pretty good year this past year, as I recall. Um, so yeah, not bad. Yeah, not bad. not bad. Yeah. So I mean, I think that you know, it gets into this the, the details, the nuances, the subtleties of every position, and why players can be good. You know, we we talk with receivers about stride length, something probably not a lot of people think about. You talk about receivers with their ability to set up corners and move them off their spot, probably something not a lot of people talk about. These are the details, the nuances, the disciplines of that position. There's all of that at every position. And while I was blown away by the athleticism, truly blown away, not every one of those guys, as we know, is going to be an all-pro player in the NFL. And and you know what? Not every guy is going to make it to the NFL. But it also does speak, in wrapping up this edition of Tapehead's draft season, that the game has changed. Yes. And you have to change with it when you're analyzing players, right? Like, I'm old enough to remember, as you are, when Jimmy Johnson had, like, the first 300-pounders in NFL history on his offensive line. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, there's three guys on Jimmy Johnson's Cowboys offensive line. They're over 300 pounds. How how are you ever going to get to the quarterback? And now we see the evolution of the athleticism to go along with that size. So now when you're looking at offensive linemen, Right, like you, and we're going to get into the offensive yeah. linemen as we get deeper and deeper into future editions uh, of this podcast as well. Where you better combine size and athleticism, and you know, and and foot agility with that position as well. Because look who they have to block. You have to now block a guy that's three hundred and forty pounds and ran the forty time of a good tight end or like a lower level wide receiver. And that is the evolution of this game where they are just bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic. Combining that with size, it it must change the whole prism with which you look at, especially guys along the line of scrimmage, like the athleticism that they have to combine with that size in order to move them up your draft board. Yeah, and I think that's one reason why I think a lot of coaches would say that the biggest mismatch in the NFL is probably offensive linemen, and they're getting more athletic too, but offensive line versus defensive linemen and defensive schemes. Because now, as you know, Bob, when you blitz, when you blitz, let's say you're playing your dime personnel, six defensive backs, you're bringing in an extra safety, an extra corner, you know, whatever you're, and you're bringing in a specific linebacker who's more athletic. And now these offensive linemen have to deal with that kind of speed coming from distance. And that is a really tough deal so no the game is cyclical the game changes you know it's hard it's hard to pass protect in this league and it's really hard to pass protect with five offensive linemen so the game we'll see where the game goes but it's there's so much speed on defense now well hopefully we were able to at least this week put a little bit more in perspective the importance of the combine the importance of the measurables and how coaches and teams and general managers look at those 40 times and the measurables at the Combine. You can hit us up on social media, download and subscribe. We will be back next week with more evaluations and what the tape says about the top players. 
For Greg Cosell, I'm Bob Wischusen. Thanks for being a tape head. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.